By now you'll have heard or seen that I'm working with a new golf app called Tangent, who are also sponsoring this show. It's the smartest AI caddy in golf and is able to recommend not only clubs to hit, but target locations based on the math behind strokes gained and your own personal shot patterns. Unlike many other shot trackers, it also takes into account and adjusts for hazards that are out there. It has sensorless tracking with an amazing automatic swing detection that you can use with your Apple Watch or your phone without any need to buy any attachments for your clubs. And my favorite part, the post-round analysis data helps you immediately see where you can improve and gives you simple breakdowns that you can dive into if you want much more detail about your stats. It then links this data to recommendations and actual practice drills that you can use to improve. Getting measurable data for both on-course and practice drills makes Tangent one of the best game improvement ecosystems that I've ever seen. So download Tangent for free on the Apple App Store or at tangent.golf and use promo code SWEET30, that's S-W-E-E-T-3-0, for 30% off. So you'll get a free trial, and if you like it and want to continue, it'll give you 30% off a subscription. So just try it out, play a few rounds with it, and I know you'll love it. So that's Tangent, T-A-N-G-E-N-T, and enter code SWEET30. Welcome back to another episode of The Sweet Spot. This is John Sherman from Practical Golf, and as always, I'm joined by... Adam from Adam Young Golf. So typically we don't do sequential or time-based episodes on the sweet spot. This is an evergreen show, so you can go back in the library and nothing's really in order in terms of its date. However, it is the end of 2022, and I thought it might be a good idea to bring our buddy Kent Osborne back on the show. We're we're gonna do a we're gonna do a little exercise for everyone where we're gonna look back on this year and then we're gonna look forward to the next year and and give you some exercises that you could do on your own that I think will be really helpful. So yeah, episode one, we're going to premiere this at the end of 2022 in December. And then the second half of it will appear in early 2023. So we're in a bit of a time change here because we're recording this in, uh, what is this? We're in November now, the end of November. So that's the little preamble. Kent, welcome back to the show. Thanks for taking time out of your day again to chat with us. Thanks, John. Thanks, Adam. Good to see you guys again. Yes. So quickly reintroduce yourself. You did do an episode with us a few months ago where you kind of debuted your scratch attitude philosophy <laughs> to our listeners. We had a we had a, a lot of great comments. I think a lot of people enjoyed that episode just because I think, you know, we're trying to give people different perspectives on this show. We, we talked to a number of different instructors, mental coaches, and I think it's important to give different perspectives. And I, I like yours because it's really centered more around not necessarily like the high performance stuff. It's more of, well, how can you enjoy this game and have it being a meaningful part of your life mm-hmm. as, as well as getting better? So yeah, tell us a little bit about your background again for those who haven't listened to the other episode. Okay. Well, there's basically two two aspects of my background that I think are relevant for golf. I started playing golf relatively late in life, started at 50, and put a lot of time and energy into the game, got to scratch, won a club championship. So arguably became a a good or pretty good club level player. But I think what's potentially most interesting about my background is I I started my career as a a psychotherapist, became a performance coach in the National Hockey League, and then went on to do a lot of executive coaching and a lot of leadership development work corporately. And when I started playing golf, I attempted to take that perspective or those learnings into my into my game. And and the whole scratch attitude thing came about because, you know, it was clear that at 50 years old, I, I was not on the track to be an elite golfer or a professional golfer. So my approach is mostly to Okay, I'm there for recreation. I'm paying money to enjoy myself. And, and of, of course, I want to shoot the lowest score I can possibly shoot. But the core of what it's about is, is getting into that enjoyment space. I see a lot of guys, recreational players, that have a lot of frustration and anxiety when they play. And I've attempted to use what I've learned from the past to ameliorate that. So 
the past. That's what we're, we're going to be talking about in this yeah. episode. Why don't we, so you, you wrote a couple of articles on my site, Practical Golf, a couple of years ago. So I'll put these links in the show notes so people can see the actual exercise. Maybe this discussion won't be exactly the same, but that's the basic framework we're going to use. So sure. why don't you tee up this episode, the context of everything and what we're going to be talking about here. Okay, well, I mean, it's time for New Year's resolutions. It's time to set your goals for 2023. And I'm going through that process now. And I think anyone who's an avid golfer at some point will consider the process. And there's really two pillars for that, from my perspective. And one pillar is the ability to artfully look forward. But there's the other pillar is, is the ability to artfully look back. And we'll talk about things as we go on this goal setting journey or have this goal setting conversation. For me, when you think about goals, it's not rocket science. You need to know what you want. You need to believe that you can get there and you need to map a journey that is going to help you end up where you want to go. Well, it's not rocket science. I would say in my professional career, most people don't do it. And the people who do do it don't do it in a way that will provide maximum empowerment or maximum effect for themselves. And so I would only assume that that's the same for golfers. Golfers in general, I think, would, I want to get better. But do they really have a target in mind and have they really done the work required to empower themselves, to create the kind of beliefs that are going to support or align themselves with what they want and to create a, you know, a map of a journey that, that, that's going to get them from where they are today to where they want to be. So what I'd like to talk about today is how you can go through those, those three fundamental steps for golf in a way that will maximize your chances of getting where you want to go. Now, obviously, obviously golf's a complex game and there's a lot to it. I mean, there's, there's, there's a physical aspect. You've got to be golf fit. You've got to have the skills, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But to me, this is one foundational piece, I think, that's often missed. And if, if we can have a conversation about it today and guys can come away with some insights that would be, would be useful, that'd be cool. Can you go through those three three things again briefly? The three aspects of goal setting, as I would see it, is first of all, you need to know, you need to really know what you want to achieve. I mean, it's kind of like that biblical statement, you know, ask and you shall receive. You know, it's not, it's not kind of throw out a general hint and you shall receive. It's ask and you shall receive. So I think that from the, from the golfers that I've talked to, and you know, I can generalize from that, from you know, with the clients that I've had over the years, you know, one of the hardest things to do is to really identify, to really be honest with yourself. Like, what is it that you really, really want from your relationship with this game? And then the second thing is, if you, once you do that, you have to have a belief system that supports that. For me, I, I think about, I have a model that I use, which is that we don't have one mind, we have three minds. We have a conscious, we have a subconscious, we have an unconscious mind. And so, you know, we can talk more about that in a bit, but the, the, the bottom line is that that subconscious belief system, that the, the way you organize your memories, the way you, the way you identify your potential future memories, all of that subconscious stuff has to be lined up because if I can throw out a quote from, uh, Mr. Nicholas, in the micro sense, he says in his book on page 237, he's talking about putting, he says, if he believes he can get the ball into the hole, a lot of the time he will, even if his technique appears to be unorthodox or even downright faulty. And if he doesn't believe he can get the ball into the hole, most of the time he won't, even though his technique may seem flawless. So that's Jack talking about the power of belief in a micro sense about one particular putt. I feel it's the same in a macro sense in terms of your overall belief about who you, who you can be as a golfer. One of the things we'll talk about is this idea in the subconscious mind. Your subconscious comprises a timeline of all your memories. It creates like a story for you. And so you have memories of who you've been. 
you have a sense of who you are and you have memories of who you're going to be as well. And those are in there, whether you want, whether you know it or not, they're there. How you influence that timeline is really critical for your ability to, to achieve this thing that you said you want to achieve. And then finally, you have to map the journey. You just can't say, okay, you know, I've, I've sat back for a half an hour and I've done this thinking and I've got these great pictures of my past and great pictures of my future and now I'm going to do whatever the hell I feel like doing and it's all going to work out. I mean, you are going to face obstacles. And the, the reason why I like to use the word journey is because it's like the hero's journey in the mythic sense. I mean, you are going to face obstacles, you are going to face challenges and you have to have strategies around that. I mean, to me, those are the three pillars for goal setting and, and we can hopefully get into them in a bit more depth and detail in a way that makes sense for the for the average golfer out there. Yeah, I think for this topic in particular, we've, we've explored it on different episodes and I want to keep coming back to it with different perspectives because sometimes you just hear something and it knocks something kind of loose in your brain like, oh, sure. that's that's how I should be doing it. And one of the things that struck me when you first wrote these articles on my site was you have to reconsider the past before conquering the future is one of the subheadings you put. And we've talked about this in other episodes, the narrative we tell ourselves. This came up in our putting episode with Carl Morris, which I, I really love that episode, is because as golfers, we get stuck into these narratives or identities that we give ourselves. And a lot of it is is the way we're interpreting what happened in the past. Like if you think yes. you're a crappy putter, you're going to be thinking about all your three putts and, and the putts you've missed. So yes. it's it's being selective and choosing to go through the memories in, in, a, in a more productive way. So I, I think that was an important part of the article. So can we talk about that a little bit that they're considering, because we want to talk about you know the future and what you're going to do eventually with your goals and, and becoming a better golfer, but you have sure. to go through this exercise of looking back at the past. Sure. Okay. One of the things I would say about that is that you can't routine your way out of a belief system. So you're going to take your beliefs onto the golf course. Those beliefs, uh, as, as you said, are, are rooted in how you manage your memories. And when you get onto the golf course, those beliefs are going to influence your emotional state and those beliefs are going to influence your how you're thinking. What guys will tend to do, I feel, is they will try to use a routine almost last minute to get themselves out of that belief system. And, and I think one of the most powerful things that you can do is organize your beliefs or structure your beliefs or, or selectively choose your beliefs in a way that empower you. One of the most important things that you can do is, is ask yourself, what is it that once you're clear on what is it that you want to achieve? There's things that I would recommend for you to get to that point. But once you're clear on that, then what you want to do is, is you want to go back into your past and you want to literally ask yourself, when was I playing in a way? When was I playing in a way that was aligned with that? And you want to go to specific memories so that you can your subconscious mind works in a in a works around a, a in intensity and repetition. If you can connect with memories that that are strong and powerful for you, and or you can repeat that regular basis, then your subconscious will will respond to that in, in a way that that becomes your identity. If I can use it that way. But what I'd like to do before we get into that is would it be acceptable for you to back it up a little bit and go through these three pillars that I've outlined or these three aspects of goal setting. I think the first thing you've got to do really is you've got to identify what you want clearly. And there's, there's a couple of things you need to do in order to do that. What I'd recommend to anyone listening is start out, sit down with a piece of paper and ask yourself, okay, why do you play golf? And if you ask yourself that question and you let yourself explore the possibilities. I mean, I can tell you why I play golf. I, I play golf because I love how it feels when I hit a great shot. I play golf because I love how it feels when I make a putt. I play golf when I, because I, you know, I love to compete. I, I love being able to play with, with good players. I love to win tournaments. All those things are important to me. And the next layer for me would be, 
I love playing in matches at my club. You know, I love playing team golf and scrambles and things like that. I love playing two-man better balls. And then the next layer for me would be I enjoy playing with my friends. I enjoy playing with my wife. I enjoy playing with my son. But if I've listed all of those things, I can create kind of like a ladder of why I play. When I'm clear on that ladder of why I play, I can look at that and say, okay, how is that going to influence what I want to achieve in 2023? What do you think is the, because I don't think a lot of people take the time to think about that. Fair enough. You've worked with other golfers at this point. Yeah. What are some of the common mistakes you see with players who don't have their their priorities in this? Because, I mean, if you ask most people, like, why they're playing, it's the, the answer is, oh, my score, I got to get it lower. Like, it's something like, it's, it's, yeah. it's a or I'm Or I'm playing ten. for fun. Yeah. Hopefully it could be both. But what do you see as the common pitfalls when people don't go through that exercise or don't have their priorities straight? What are you hearing from these people? I think the two pitfalls are, first of all, your expectations get out of whack. You're on a path to get you to San Francisco, but you really want to go to Los Angeles. And the other things, and I think the other thing that happens is that you're unable then to become clear on what you really want in an emotional sense. I mean, if I'm if I'm playing primarily for satisfaction and I'm not really clear on what that satisfaction is, it's very hard to find it. So I think what's important about that exercise is that if you if you move beyond the surface and get connected with what you really want from the game, then that can clarify your goals, help you see clearer what it is that's important to you. Because for me doing that exercise, for example, it becomes clear to me that, you know what? Yeah, I'm, I'm there for recreation. I'm there for fun. But you know what? I really like playing well in tournaments. I need to be able to understand that in a way so that I can clarify what I really want. And the next thing that I would do, so that'd be the first exercise I would do, almost like in preparation to, to set my goal, would be, why do I play golf? The second thing that I would do is I would sit down and I would ask myself, okay, what did I really enjoy in 2022 and what didn't I enjoy? Were there tournaments, were there events, were there situations that, you know what, this just wasn't, no matter how well I played, this wasn't really doing it for me. And then the third thing that I would do, I would, I would ask myself, okay, what's the best round or the best stretch of holes I had last year? And specifically, I'd be looking for what was my experience there? What was being in the zone like for me? Did I have, am I losing track of time? Are things slowing down? Am I losing track of myself? Am I forgetting about the situation or the circumstance? Like, where was I actually in the place where I want to be? And what was that like for me? And so if I've done that thinking, if I've taken 15 or 20 minutes and I've thought about okay, this is, this is why I'm playing. This is what I really loved last year and what I didn't enjoy. These were the best moments that I had last year. That, I think, puts you in a place where you can then say, what do I really want to achieve in 2023? So I thought one of the interesting things in the article you wrote, you actually had people, I remember people doing this a couple of years ago. You wanted a pen and paper, sitting down, making a list of your three best rounds, your three best holes, three best drives, and kind of going through these lists. And I, I love, I try and do this after every round where I just take these mental snapshots mm-hmm. and internalize things. And I want to kind of relive them later on because again, you know, what's the point of golf if it's yeah. not for the experience and fun of it? And I think when people take the time to jog their memory, like some emotions are going to come up, mm-hmm. visceral things will come up. And it's quite interesting, especially for when you had first read the article, this was the year when COVID hit. So a lot of people were reliving their golf moments during, you know, golf was a, this unexpected escape that a lot of people had from COVID and it brought back like, wow, golf like kind of saved my my mental state because there was nothing else to do. For sure. I think this is like a really powerful thing to do because I think what a lot of golfers do and I try not to do this, probably I do it a little bit myself, is you just kind of going through the motions is the right phrase, but you kind of let the game happen and you expect to just keep playing and playing and playing. And then it just becomes like this thing. And if you take time to go back and make this highlight real for yourself, then your appreciation of the game. And more importantly, I think you're getting out with these positive experiences, like a narrative will appear 
well, maybe I am a better driver of the golf ball than I think. Maybe I am a better putter. And you can start getting these positive memories in there because I think we default to the negative ones. Yeah, I mean, that's what I would do next. So if the first if the first section of the goal setting process is, you know, what is it that I want to achieve? What I'm suggesting is that if you, there's a couple of exercises that you can do to help you get as clear as possible on answering that question. And so knowing why you play, understanding what you love and what you didn't love last year, and getting a sense of your of a couple of great moments last year, that can help you answer that question. So there's my target. And now once you have that target, I would strongly recommend that you do exactly what you're talking about there, which is you go back into, you, you begin and you think, okay, I need to have a belief system that supports that. You know, how do I believe that that's possible? Well, you believe that that's possible because there's evidence from your past that suggests it's possible. To me, your subconscious mind is, is very much a truth teller. Like I, I could I could sit back here now and say, okay, you know, I want to play in the end. I, I want to be a you know, starting point guard for the LA Lakers next year. And I'm going to sit back and I'm going to picture myself at playing next to LeBron and blah, 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 blah. I could create all those pictures in my mind. But my subconscious would go, mm, you know what, there's absolutely nothing in your history that would suggest that that's possible. So when you create a target in golf, and hopefully your target would be something that would be something that part of you would say yes, and part of you would say, man, I'm not, I'm not sure that that's possible. If I spoke this out loud to my buddies, at least one of them would laugh in my face. <laughs> if you're going for something, why not make it audacious? Why not make it something? But again, it's got to be anchored in those two realities. On the one hand, it's it's got to be a crossing a threshold. But on the other hand, there's got to be some evidence in your past that suggests, yes, you know, this is your your story or, or your life is a, has been a trajectory towards this. And that's where you want to go back. I think it's that's where you want to take your blank sheet of paper and you want to go back and you want to start identifying your best moments. You want to identify those rounds. You want to identify those drives. You want to identify those great approach shots, those great up and downs. You want to have those in your mind because what you want to do is you want to ultimately end up in the, in the journey part doing something that's ongoing. You want to condition your mind on an ongoing basis to make this dream a reality. You don't want to make this an event. This goal-setting process, this sitting down with some blank paper at your desk and going through these, ask, answering these questions that we're talking about, this should not be an event. This should be the beginning of a process. Because for me, the mind is no different than the body. If I was trying to trying to train my body to to get into a to do a triathlon or something, I mean, I wouldn't go out once and work out, and that'd be it. So, yeah, now that you've got your target identified, go back into the past, find your best moments, and what's important, most important, there is is you have to relive them. Yeah, you have to reconnect with them. When you've got those best moments, when you when you put a light on those in the journey piece, you know, on a regular basis, you go back to those moments time and time and time and time again. You're basically telling your subconscious mind that, you know what, this is part of my story. My story is going to unfold this way. Because as I was saying earlier, the subconscious, the subconscious has something that you can call a timeline. It's got your memories of the past, but it, it takes that story and projects it into the future. It's got memories of the future stuck in there as well. We are going to take a quick break and we will be right back. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com forward slash sweet spot. LinkedIn is not just a job board. It helps you hire professionals you cannot find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to a new perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. 
Also on LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. Just recently, they even launched a new feature that helps you write your job description, making the process even easier and quicker. And they know that small business owners like myself and Adam are wearing so many hats and might not have the resources to hire, so it's a great place to get help. Now here's what you can do. Post your job for free at linkedin.com forward slash sweet spot. That's linkedin.com forward slash sweet spot to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. We have an exclusive offer on one of my favorite golf shoe brands, True Linkswear. They just released their new Lux G shoes, which is their first big release of 2024 and it is packed with a ton of features. The Lux G is available in both men's and women's models, and it combines tour level performance with a new fit and feel. You'll get the comfort that True Linkswear is known for with their Wonder Lux midsole for a supportive yet comfortable ride. The Lux G is also fully waterproof with a two-year warranty, and they have designed it with their padded heel lock system to ensure stability throughout the entire golf swing. But they didn't stop there. True Linkswear always pays attention to the small details. There's padding on the back to prevent rubbing against your foot, an antimicrobial comfort insole, and the Lux G's come in multiple colors. Sweet Spot listeners can get 15% off the Lux G shoes by visiting truelinkswear.com and using promo code SWEETSPOT. Once again, that's truelinkswear.com and use promo code SWEETSPOT, that's one word, to get 15% off their new Lux G shoes. Like when I talk to certain golfers about this concept, they'll be like, well, I just can't remember it. I believe there's things you could do while you're playing and right after you're playing because I get the mind is a crazy thing. And if you don't, yeah. you know, one thing that I've heard you say before, I agree with it and try and do it is when you're actually playing golf, you have to take a moment to internalize these wins and, and you're kind of like tagging them mentally or even yeah. after the round. Because some people could do this at the end of the year. And if they haven't been going through that process while they were playing and are not doing that habit, then it's kind of hard for those memories to stick out because let's say you were the, the golfer who is more focused on the bad shots and those were what you were going on and on about at the end of the round, <laughs> it's going to be really hard eight months later to jog up those positive memories. Yes. So do you think there's an element of what you have to do as a habit, like during your golf year to make sure that those are properly filed away in the, in the, in the yeah. file cabinet of your brain? <laughs> yeah, I think so. I mean, for me, the number one, the number one mental habit for an avid golfer, I don't know what the pros should do because I'm, I'm not a pro, but the number one habit for me for an avid golfer is having a journal and writing down your best shots after a round. You get into that habit of, of shining a light or paying attention to really good moments and you move away from the mind's natural tendency, at least my mind's natural tendency, to dwell on mistakes and bad shots and bad moments. My perspective is that the subconscious mind is driving the bus. And so the more that you can equip this bus to take you where you want to go, the more likely you will have the kind of success that you want. Because your story, the way you organize your memories into a story or into a sense of identity about yourself and about the world, I mean, that, that influences your filter. Like, like right now, for example... You're filtering and I'm filtering. You guys are filtering and I'm filtering. You're probably not aware of the color in the wall in the background or the color of my sweater, or you're probably not aware right now of how your, how your ass feels in the chair, and you're probably not aware of your blinking rate, your breathing rate, because the subconscious mind is constantly filtering out data, external data and internal data. And in part, in large part, it filters out that data based on what my story is. So if I'm a golfer, for example, and my let's say my dream is to compete in some kind of a state-level event. And let's say but my belief system is, I mean, on the one hand, you know, consciously I can say, well, you know, I'm a, my handicap is plus two and I can hit it far and I, and I know I can hit it with these guys and blah, blah, blah. But I have a belief system that says, you don't belong with these guys, man. You're not as good as these guys. If that's the case, where does that come from? 
Well, it comes from your personal interpretation of certain memories that you've had in the past. I mean, it could be, you know, your experience in tournaments as a kid. It could have been your experience in baseball tournaments as a kid. It could have been things that your dad said to you when you were growing up, driving back from baseball tournaments. I mean, who knows? That story is there. And that story is absolutely going to influence how you play. And what's going to happen when you walk onto the range, as soon as you do that, somebody's going to look at you or not look at you completely innocently. But your brain is going to interpret that as there's evidence. The way he didn't, the way he didn't say hi, or the way he did say hi, is absolutely evidence that I don't belong here. And so what I'm saying to you is that what I want to do as a golfer, and again, my focus is primarily on being out there and enjoying myself, and secondarily, I'm playing the best golf I can possibly play. But what I want to do as a golfer is I want to make sure that my that my memories are aligned with this target that I've identified for myself. I've identified a target where I want to I want to be able to be deeper into and you know and more consistent in this particular state because I believe that it, I know that if I can be in that state things are going to work out for me in terms of my swing and my score. And so I want to have memories highlighted in my mind that are aligned with that. It's almost like you're describing my trajectory in golf. I'm fascinated by this stuff because I always had a little voice in my head for a very long time that was telling me bad things, like you're not good enough, you're going to screw sure. up, like the other shoe is going to drop. Even competitively, like what you're saying, like I don't belong with these guys. I would show up to tournaments and just being like, I'm here to participate, but I can't reach the level of my opponents. And part of that was true because the skill level wasn't there also. But I think as you get better at this game and hopefully – enjoy it more and get more confidence. Like there's little inklings of these successes that as you go back and look on them, give you more confidence for the next time. So the idea of like narratives and almost the narrative I tell myself now versus before is very different, but it just didn't happen. Okay. You can't just like trick yourself no. into it no, or like can't. it has to be, as, as you said, it has to be balanced where you say, well, I, I don't want to, uh, if you're saying like, oh, I want to win the tournament and I'm, I'm this good and your, your skills aren't there yet, then those are misaligned. You can't bullshit your subconscious. Exactly. So it's it's fascinating how it's like, I always think of it as like slowly climbing this ladder and you fall back a couple of times. And if you have the right attitude, you can keep going. But I, I say this on a lot of episodes, it, it's that the five or 10 minutes after a round, I think is so important mm-hmm. because you can really shape what's going to happen moving forward. Like, are you going to grow from it and learn from it? Or are you going to beat the hell out of yourself over it? I really want to highlight this distinction between your three levels of mind. So conscious mind, you've got, it's, it's your waking awareness. You've got that left brain, right brain. You've got the left brain ability to think logically and analytically and make decisions. You've got that right brain ability to visualize and create images subconscious mind that's where your timeline resides that's where your beliefs reside so just because you have an idea a left brain idea oh i i want to compete here what's going on in your subconscious is going to dictate your mood it's going to dictate your emotional state and it's going to influence those thoughts it's going to influence those pictures that you have that's why to me Doing this work at a subconscious level, it doesn't mean that you have to hypnotize yourself. But then again, Tiger was hypnotized for years when he was a kid. So, you know, it's not necessarily that it's a bad thing. And I'm not in any way trying to suggest that just because I do this, you know, it hasn't made me the number one senior golfer in Canada. But I believe that by doing it in this way, by understanding that I do have a subconscious, by understanding that this is what it does, by understanding that spending a little time doing this work is arguably as important to my satisfaction and my scores as taking 20 to 30 minutes of hitting chip shots around a short game area. I've got a few little stories on, on this as well. I've been writing notes, as you've been saying. So I think, you know, what you said earlier about the filtering thing, that certainly appeals to me at the as a scientist or as my mind works in that way. I think... The turnoff for me with this, it used to be the case that this was all very 
hippie. <laughs> what's, what's the right word for this? Hippie ass. Mumbo jumbo. Um, it used to be. Yeah, it used to be like that because it was, it was almost like there was no science behind it. But the more I started learning about brain research and things like that and how, you know, what you said about filtering, that started to appeal to the scientists part of me. You know, I, an experience that I've had of this recently is there's a certain car that I've wanted. You know, I've probably seen that car tens of thousands of times or thousands of times on the road and not really triggered. But the moment I said to myself, oh, I want, you know, I, maybe I could actually buy this car. Maybe that's a reality for me. And I started looking at my finances and thinking, you know what, this this is probably not a pipe dream. I, I might be able to do that. And then all of a sudden, every every time I'm on the road, I see that car everywhere. Like <laughs> I always do that with cars. More. When you get interested yeah. in buying a car, it's the only one you see on the road. It's so funny. Yeah. And it's not that that car wasn't there before. It's now that you've made that conscious decision exactly. over something. Your brain <laughs> is filtering that new information. And I mean, I've said this a uh, hundred times on different podcasts as well, but that relates strongly to the putting thing that you said right at the start. You know, if you believe you can put, you can hold a putt, your brain is going to absorb more information than if you don't. And that can work on two levels as well. You can try and tell yourself, oh, I believe, but that's, that's very different to actually having a belief that you could yes. hold a putt. But, you know, we've all stood over a putt and felt, you know, we stand over a putt and we feel different over this when we think, why do I feel like I can hold this? And then all of a sudden you knock it in, a 20-footer, and you're like, that was so strange. You tell your playing partners after. So, you know, our... Brain is absorbing more information on read and line and also accessing the movement that produces that. And that's the other part that I was going to go to as well is that, you know, in terms of improvement, I've always seen it as, well, I can take a player and change what they do. You know, like a 15 or a 20 handicapper doesn't hit it like a plus two in most cases. So I could change how they hit it so I can improve their potential. But there's also the access of what you already own. You know, like a 20 handicap can hit the occasional shot, like a, like a single figure handicap. And it's how do they get those shots more often? You know, and I think what, what you're talking about here really improves that. You know, when you improve your unconscious beliefs, you're going to be more likely to do that. And my own personal story with that is when I was a handicap player, I didn't play in a lot of big tournaments. I'm kind of an introvert, so I didn't like to do that. And I also got pretty good at golf quite quickly, so I wasn't eligible to play for a lot of tournaments. You know, you had to be a certain handicap at the start of the year, and I wasn't. You know, I I got down very quickly. And so I didn't get to see a lot of good players. And so while I had the ability to play, you know, to shoot under par, I didn't. I never shot under par. As, as an amateur, or I very rarely did it, you know, only, only in practice rounds, never really in tournaments. And I played well enough to do it, but I'd always sabotage myself at the end of the round. I'd make a double or triple on the last few holes. And one of the things that stopped that for me and allowed me to go deep under par as well, like six, seven, eight under par, uh, was when I went... Now I'm taking notes. <laughs> <laughs> it was just a change of belief. So when I when I actually got my pro status, I went off to university uh, in Birmingham. And in the initial years, I stopped playing because I was actually fearful because now I was around a bunch of guys who were all pros. And I was like, oh, you know what? I actually don't want to play around these guys because I don't want to embarrass myself. I don't want to be shown as a fraud here. Because I, I don't know, they probably hit it 40 yards past me. They're probably hitting right at the pin every time. I had this belief in my head of what uh, a pro was. And so I stopped playing for the first couple of years. But towards the end, I actually went on the range and I was watching them all hit. It was, it was like a group session where we were all hitting together. And I was watching them hit and I was like, they hit it just the same as I do. In fact, I hit it better than a lot of these guys. And, and I was like, why, why was I so fearful? And I, and then at the end of that, I got my pro card because it was, a, it was a degree that was tied in with the PGA. So you do your training, you get your pro card. So there's two things. Number one, I saw that I hit it as well as the other guys, if not slightly better than a few. And the other thing was now I was a pro. And so I started telling people, and for probably a good year before I started playing again, I was telling people, yeah, I'm a pro, I'm a pro. And they're all, oh, you must hit it. You must hit it really well. And that was probably the biggest single jump in my improvement because I went from the ability, a player who couldn't break par 
to maybe a couple of years later, a player who could shoot six, seven, eight under on a given day. Now, obviously not every time I went out and played, but you know, I, I had that ability in me and I could do it a couple of times a year and I didn't hit it any better. So, you know, we're always talking about, like I said, changing who we are as a golfer in terms of technique, hit it longer, hit it straighter, strike the center more. Those are important things, of course. But I was a player who did those things the exact same. But now I could shoot. My lower end was probably six, seven, eight shots lower now just from my belief. So I'm, I'm off my soapbox now, but just tying in a whole bunch of stuff that you said. I think, I think there's a ton. Of, I mean, I've gone through a very similar process and I, I truly believe all the golfers I'm around, whether it's in person, people I talk to on Twitter, plenty of people listening to the show I've spoken to. I think there is, without a change in physical skill, there is a better performance level. It, it's It's almost like, the governor on a golf cart, it's in your brain. That's why, you know, Ken, you said working on this stuff is important. It, it is because some people, they just, I don't know, golf's hard because you know, a lot of it's about the swing and practice and all that stuff, but then you don't take time to think about these things. But yeah, I think there's a lot of people telling themselves stories out there that really aren't true. Mm -hmm. They probably do have the physical capabilities of playing better. They just don't believe it. And that that's a hard nut to crack. Another thing that you put, in this article, moving along, because we are going to get to the, the next part of this, is that you also wanted people to make another list of the most difficult and disappointing moments they had, because golf, as you put it, is not a bed of roses. Do we want to talk a little bit about that? Because we did say, all right, you know, we were relieving, reliving our good memories, our positive memories to establish, hopefully, this identity, the storyline. We've also got to be realistic. Now, let's talk about the bad stuff. Because we all have to deal with that too. Yeah. And what's important there, I think, is what can I learn from it? And that's where you there, there's a difference uh, psychologically. When you go inside and you, and you visualize, there's two ways you can do it. You can, you can be associated or dissociated. Now, associated means that you're going to close your eyes and you're going to go back there to the last round that you played. And you're going to be there in your own skin. You're going, to be, you're going to be seeing things that you saw. You're going to be feeling the things that you felt. You're going to be there as if you were there again. Dissociated means that you are able to see you in this mental image. And when you're associated, there tends to be a stronger emotional connection. When you're dissociated, your emotions tend to get less and when they decrease. And so what I would recommend is that you would, you would not only have a list of your best moments, but you'd have a list of those two or three moments that you felt were, were really disappointing or those rounds that were really disappointing. But what's important there is you step back from that and you see you in that situation like you're an observer. And what you'd want to be able to do is say, okay, what can I learn from that? What can I genuinely learn from that? And it could surface an insight that's physical about your swing. It could surface an insight around your routine or lack thereof. It could surface an insight around your belief system. But whatever it is, what's important is that you're dissociated. In other words, you're, you're looking at you at a distance. You're observing you the way you'd observe one of your friends. And if you can find the learning from that, then you want to identify that learning and you want to take it forward into your mapping the journey piece that I would talk about later. What you don't want to do is you don't want to associate that with, with that memory, make it big, bright, colorful, and then start replaying it over and over and over and over and over again. That's not good. So just because something happened doesn't mean you're going to learn from it, but you can learn from it if A, you step away from it, and B, you ask yourself, what can I learn from it? And that can be very useful. Yeah, I think a lot of people will always go back to moments where they felt like they blew it or they choked or something like that. What they'll do typically, I mean, if my memory of working with pro athletes, the guys who tend to struggle will do the flip of that. They'll associate with negative memories. And if they have a really good memory, they'll look at it from a distance and be kind of like stoic about it. So it's the exact opposite of what exact you want opposite of what's of what's ideal from a point of view of using your subconscious in a way that's going to empower you. You think about your subconscious as primarily a memory machine. So, you know, how are you going to store your memories? How are you going to manage your memories in a way that's going to empower you? 
Well, you want to really connect with the great ones. If there's something that's that's negative, didn't go the way that you want it to do, you want to disconnect from that, observe it, ask yourself if there's anything I can learn from it. If I can, I'm going to take that forward. And if I can't, I'm just going to let it go. Makes sense? It makes perfect sense. And it, it's really hard to do in this game because I think mm. I'm a perfect example of a golfer who probably was way too melodramatic about what golf meant to me in my life and what scoring meant. And it was all probably taking it way too seriously where I, I try and disassociate myself as much as possible. Like I was actually, this year was a good example. I had, I was proud of myself for this because I took it in stride, but it was one of those moments where you could have said, Oh, I choked. I was playing in a qualifier to get in the New York state open, which is like the big pro tournament in New York. That was a bit of a strange round. I think I made four birdies on the front and was still one over, just like Jekyll and Hyde type stuff, a very strange round. But I got to the end and I was on the 18th hole and I knew I had to make a par to to make it into the event. It was a tough hole with water on the right and bunkers on the left. And I put it in the bunker on the left. I couldn't get out, put it 20 feet for par and I missed the putt. And I looked back on it and I was like, well, I think I would have beaten myself up very badly a while ago. and. I think it was just the variation of golf. One version of me was going to hit it in the fairway and make an easy par. Another version of me was going to pull it into the bunker and make the bogey. And probably another version of me was going to blast it in the water to the right. I try and not view, because we're not that one version of ourselves, right? As golfers, we're we're many versions and there's so much variability in this Mm -hmm. game. And that's the hardest thing to do. I think when golfers, because I know that moment's very similar for a lot of players, whether it's the, oh, I was close to breaking 80, 90, or 100, these milestones, we, we've had episodes on these with scoring milestones, and you know when you're close to them, and you know what it feels oh, yeah. like when you make a double bogey on the last hole, and it feels yeah. like, oh, I choked there. But it's not, again, there's these multiple, uh, I don't want to get into time travel, yeah, but yeah. You know, when they talk about time travel, there's these multiple streams of, of yourself that's how it is in golf. Like there's a version of you who makes the double. There's a version of you who makes the birdie. There's a version of you that pars it. Like, and you have to accept all of those. It's, it's very hard to do. But I think that's why looking back in this way where you're, as you would say, not emotional for the bad stuff and internalizing kind of yeah. taking as much ownership of the good stuff as you can. Like that's such a great model to approach golf or pretty much anything else with too in life. Because my natural inclination, and I, th- I think most guys, but I could, I could just be personal about it, my natural inclination would be to take a moment like that, have that so emotionalized, and go back to it and replay it so many times that it would be part of my story moving into an important tournament next year. That would be my natural inclination. And so by spending some time doing this kind of practice work, I'm moving away from that as best I can and doing what you did, which is, you know, okay, what can I learn from this? That's golf. There are many versions of me. That's going to, if I play enough tournaments, that kind of stuff's going to happen. I'm detached from it. I move on and I strongly associate to the four birdies I made in the front nine. As Ted Lasso would say, be a goldfish, right? (laughs) (laughs) You you have to let some of this stuff go really quickly. Yeah. I hung on. I remember when I was, I was in high school and I, I remember I, I like missed a, I think I made a bogey on the final hole of our big like county tournament. And I carried that around with me for like years. Yeah. It was ridiculous. It was almost like I wanted to. It was, it was kind of, it was like I was like clinging on to this bad memory. It was just silly. Well, I talked to a buddy of mine actually this morning and, and he's a hockey guy that I used to, I used to play with years ago. And we were talking about the couple of years I spent in the, in the NHL and he, and he basically said, so, you know, what, well, what's the big difference in you know, the mental difference in guys? And I said, well, in my opinion, you know, you got your stars obviously, but, but the biggest difference between the guys who spend six or seven years jockeying up and down between the minor leagues and the NHL and the guys who stick in the NHL and make a career of it. The biggest difference that I saw was that the guys who stayed could make a mistake and let it go. And the guys who bounced up and down, if they made a mistake, they're on the bench, they're replaying it time and time and time again. And so they go out on the ice for the next shift. They're a little tight, they're a little tense, they're trying harder not to screw up than they are to just play well. It's big in every sport, and I think it's I, I think it's exceptional. I think you gotta for me at least, I've got to discipline myself to get out of that. 
in the same way that I've got to say, you know what, if I want to play decently this year, I, I, a couple of times a week, I'm going to have to go over and practice with the wedges. There's no way around it. So if I want to, if I want to enjoy myself and, and play well, I've also got to do this stuff too. Yeah, and that appeals to the scientist in me, you know, what you talked about of getting tight over a certain shot. If you've been replaying your bad shots, maybe it's a it's a pitch shot or maybe it's even a tee shot on a certain hole. You know, maybe you've whacked it out of bounds on the 13th hole and you've kept replaying that over and over. Next time you come to that, you could be nice and relaxed for the rest of the round, but you get to that hole. And all of a sudden, those memories come flooding back, and it changes your phys- your, your physicality. You know, you, you get tight. Maybe that changes the rhythm from a, a pure physics perspective. It changes the forces and torques that you apply to the club mm-hmm. as well. Maybe you swing at a different rhythm. Your, your body changes how it moves, when it transitions. And then that induces some inconsistency. So, again, there's a scientific reason for why these belief things and and what we visualize and what we tell ourselves and what's stored in our brain comes out into the real world. Yeah, for sure. So Kent, do you think that's a good place to put a split in this discussion in the sense that, so this episode, we were talking about a lot of the things you could do to look back on your year. Kent gave you some homework in there. Again, I'm going to put a link to the article that was on my site in the show notes. So you can take a look at some of the things he's requesting of you. But I think if you do take some time, you know, 20, 30 minutes with a pen and paper and revisit these memories, good and bad, I think something good will happen for everyone. So in the next episode, we are going to be discussing how to look ahead to the next year and, and, hopefully set some productive goals, correct? Correct, though. All right, so let's wrap it up there. Adam, where can everyone find you? AdamYoungGolf.com. John, where can people find you? You can find a lot of these concepts in my book, The Four Foundations of Golf, which is available on Amazon. And you can always check me out at practical-golf.com. And Kent, where can everyone find you? Uh, I'm on Twitter and YouTube now at Scratch Attitude. Nice. And at scratchattitude.com, if you're interested, I've written a book called uh, The Golfer Who Learned to, Who Developed the Scratch Attitude. So Great read. I've read it. It's an awesome book. All right. So we are going to stop it here. And then after the new year passes, we're going to come back with episode two on looking ahead. So thanks everyone for listening. And we will see you with part two soon.